When you think about applying for a practice loan, do you think about speed and simplicity? Likely not. For many veterinarians, applying for business loans can be a long and fatiguing process. Luckily, the sponsor of the podcast, Provide Inc., has changed all that. Provide is a specialty lender to the veterinary industry. They're the only, and I mean only, fully online and digital lender in the veterinary space, which makes life easy. You know I go on and on, and I'm so pro-practice ownership. I cannot be happier to have Provide be a sponsor. Whether you're in Maine or California, Provide can help. They aren't going to require you to open your savings account or jump through some hoops to get some sort of relationship discount on your loan. They're simply just going to say, here's our rate, this is the process, and we're going to do a good job. Provide uses innovative software and technology coupled with excellent service and an industry experience to deliver something that's just more efficient. Even on very complicated transactions, Provide can make a decision on whether they're going to lend in a mere five to seven business days. As we all know, time is money and having those answers quickly matters. Provide offers financing for practice acquisitions, buy-ins or buy-outs, commercial real estate, refinancing, practice remodels, all that stuff. Anything that you have around financing for your veterinary clinic and your business, they can help you with. So when you think about it, you can pre-qualify in minutes with no effect on your credit score. That's a benefit as well. For more information, head over to the veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. Scroll all the way to the bottom. You'll see a hyperlink under the provide bio. That'll get you directly to where you can pre-qualify. You can do it on your couch. You can do it in 10 minutes or less. And if you do want to reach out directly to them, please let them know that I sent you. They'll take great care of you and they will be alongside you for one of the biggest purchases of your life and do a great job at it. Now let's get to the show. Welcome to the Veterinarian Success Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Douglas. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Jackie Horner, who is a native of Clarksdale, Mississippi. But as you'll hear, you can't really hear the Mississippi accent, so I don't really know where it went. But she's called Georgia home since 2001. She received her DVM from the University of Georgia. She currently practices small animal relief work part-time while building the mission and vision of Resilient Rising. She is extraordinarily passionate about mental health, well-being, mindfulness, leadership, and personal development. We're going to get into a lot of that different stuff. She is bilingual, which I thought was really cool. My wife is actually working on Duolingo to speak Spanish, and I failed on my foreign language, but I do not speak Spanish. We're going to continue in English for the rest of today. (laughs) We're going to get into a lot of different things, but I did want to bring up one thing that made us connect was the I Quit Instagram posts that she put out, which I thought were really powerful, and I'd highly encourage people to check those out if they haven't seen it. But with all of that, Dr. Horner, thanks for joining me and coming on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me and for reaching out. Yeah, this is great. So I would like to start, let's do something easy. Let's do something fun. (laughs) Okay. So you grew up near Memphis, Tennessee, which is known for barbecue, right? So is there a best place from a barbecue standpoint? And is it in that city or is it somewhere else? Do you have a favorite? It's in Clarksdale. So that's where I was born. It's about an hour south of Memphis and Abe's Barbecue has been around, I want to say since the 30s. And it's really good. I highly recommend it. And also we are known for the blues. So everyone I think knows that blues originated from Memphis, Tennessee, but Clarksdale likes to argue that we're the home of the blues. (laughs) Interesting. See, already learning lots of good stuff. I think I told you this when we chatted the first time. I've never been to Mississippi. But yeah, when you told me that, I'm like, there's no accent there. So what happened with that? So when I talk to my family, the draw will come out a little bit because my sister has a pretty thick accent and my mom definitely has an accent. But my brothers and I, we all live in Atlanta area. So that totally got lost. But I think just because 
I grew up in Metro Atlanta and it's such a melting pot. We have so much diversity here. And then going to University of Georgia, going through their pre-med track, I was around people from all over the world. And I don't really know how it became a Midwestern accent, but somehow that happened. I just guess I'm just not around a lot of super Southern drawl people, but South Georgia, middle Georgia, definitely you will hit those pockets. Yeah, absolutely. So I do want to get into the Instagram post that I talked about in the intro, which again, struck me because it was really powerful and it was like raw, someone like sharing things that are very personal, which I think social media can do a lot of really cool things and bring people together can also certainly tear people apart and be a negative. And I think we've seen that as well. But this was something that you put yourself out there and it was really cool to see. But one part that struck me the most was the gratitude you had for the folks you worked for. And even though you talked about the struggle that you had with burnout and wearing too many hats and different boundaries that maybe were kind of related to those people, you still ensured that it was important that you knew that you respected them. You were really appreciative of everything they did. And at the end, you kind of talked about realizing your dreams and not anyone else's. So I know that's like, it's going to be a loaded question, but can we talk a little bit about what led you to open up like that and be so vulnerable and explain where you were coming from? And I don't know, like, to do that, it's not something you just do on a whim and think like, oh yeah, I'm just going to make this post because it was definitely very well thought out. Yeah. So I, to address your first point, I think I've noticed something over the last five or six years of being in professional America that a lot of young people kind of burn bridges. And I was always taught that you should act with professionalism. You should always fulfill the promises that you make. And I think that's really important, first of all, because I essentially grew up, air quotes, as a veterinarian at that practice. And if it weren't for the mentorship and the structure that they gave me, and a lot of trust as a new graduate to hire a new graduate, you're trusting a lot. You're taking a huge risk. And I wanted to acknowledge that. I mean, I had to take a nod to those people that grew me into the person that I am. And I think with cancel culture and everything that's going on online in this era, it's so easy to demonize other people. And I always try as a person, and I'm not always perfect at this because I do judge other people just like everyone else does, but I really, really try to have radical compassion and also to take personal radical responsibility for my actions. And there are plenty of times when I could have said no, instead of saying yes. So nobody creates the circumstances of my life. I create those for myself. And that is what I mean by radical personal responsibility. And so if I were to leave a practice and demonize those people and say, this is your fault because you do this, this, and this, and you're a toxic person and a toxic boss, that's not going to serve me in any capacity. It's just going to burn bridges, ruin relationships. And we all know how small the veterinary community is. Um, So it's partly professionalism, part just core values, and then also being caring about other people and their reputation. So that's where that all came from. And there's another thing too, is you can be unhappy or want to change your situation and respect the people that you're leaving. 
it doesn't have to be exclusive. And I kind of felt like I was breaking up with a toxic boyfriend, you know, like, I love you as a person, but you're not my person anymore. And that is kind of how I approached it. And then yeah, it was a really well thought out post. It took me a couple of months. And when I made the decision to leave, I put in my notice in September, and they asked for a 90 day notice, which is very generous on my end. And I would say standard in vet med is probably 60 days, but they have a 90 day. And that's my fault as a new grad signing a contract. I didn't know what the heck I was doing. (laughs) They also had a very large non-compete radius. So these things you learn from. So I made the decision in September. Prior to that, I think I had kind of been brewing on it for several months, but it had to get more uncomfortable to stay than uncomfortable to leave. The discomfort of staying had to exceed the discomfort of leaving. And that's when I was able to say, okay, it's time to put in my notice. And then once you put in your notice, there's no going back. It's got a brain and mind of its own. It's going to go. So that gave me plenty of time. And there was a ton of fear around that whole process too. Like, are they going to treat me differently? Am I going to be cut out of communication? Is this going to be awkward? Am I going to have to deal with emotions? And there was a little bit of that, but those things settled and I am kind of grateful that there was a 90 day notice because it allowed everybody to process their emotions and get through it. So that by the time I actually had my last day, there were no hard feelings. There wasn't that emotionality. And I actually just saw my ex boss today. I went by the practice to visit and he still is like, why did you leave? And I just tell him I'm happy. I'm happy where I am. And he's good with that. And yeah, of course he misses me, but Sometimes you have to do what's best for yourself. And in many cases, that means you leave. So, yeah. I was going to ask about the idea of radical responsibility. Is that something that you read about, heard about, pulled from someone else? I always use the term swipe and people that listen to this podcast have heard me talk about swipe like a million times, but I always bring it up. Did you swipe that from someone else? Is that a Dr. Horner original? Stealing with integrity and pride. I wrote that down. You know, I probably learned it through my self-development journey over the past four years. I could not tell you where I learned it from. It probably came from many, many sources. I'm one of those people that I usually have to hear things more than once and from more than one direction because I'm stubborn like that. (laughs) Um, So probably in all reality, it probably came from, I bet you it started with Brooke Castillo. Have you ever heard of her? Not familiar. So Brooke Castillo started the Life Coach School, and she has an awesome podcast called the Life Coach School Podcast. I think that's what it's called. It's incredible. And she's an incredible teacher. The podcast is totally free, but she has said in 20 minutes what some people would take to learn in a lifetime. She's incredibly profound. So I bet you I probably learned it from her and then just heard it repeatedly through other readings over the years. That oh, makes sense. And there were some different people that I feel like I've heard something similar. And I was just curious if it was a specific source, but that makes total sense. The other thing you talked about is seeing your ex-boss. You talked about the joke of it, like a toxic ex-boyfriend or whatever. But can you talk about, and I want this to be something that's a positive, because I think this is hard because within veterinary medicine, you hear so many different struggles about giving, 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 but being selfish for yourself and realizing that. Can you talk a little bit about 
did you feel guilty in a way of saying like, I need to do this for me just because you're so used to always giving for everyone else? Did you struggle with that? Do you think that's something others also challenge or struggle with as well? Yeah. So yes, I did feel guilty for a couple of reasons. One, I felt guilty because I had an incredible clientele base that I built five and a half years of relationships with, many of whom have reached out to me after I left just to check in on me. And so, yeah, I have lots of personal relationships with people and I felt guilt because I felt like I was abandoning them. And I have had to come to terms with the fact that I'm not the only one that can provide care for their patients and just kind of reflecting on it as I'm talking to you right now, that actually might tell me a little bit that I might have created some codependency and I should probably take some responsibility for that, that I probably didn't do a good job of setting personal and professional boundaries. But at the same time, I'm also really proud of those relationships because I invested in them fully. And I feel like that I was rewarded more times over than that. Like I'm looking at my desk right now of a little tile plaque of one of my patients, Oreo, who was put to sleep last year. And her family, you know, was challenging at first, but we worked through some challenges together and built a relationship that we still maintain. Like they'll email me every once in a while and just say, Hey, Dr. Warner, we're thinking about you. Hope you're well. Hope you're wedding planning's going, you know, like they know stuff about my personal life. So that's kind of fun. And then the other part of the guilt came from, I think it's a unique situation for the practice I left because they separated from their practice manager and one of their lead receptionists. And they were in a transition period just going through that. And so the owner, my boss, he was incredibly stressed So for me to hand in my notice on top of that, I felt like I was just, you know, adding paper to burn pile. But I realized that it's not my responsibility to care for someone else's emotional management. And like, he's a big boy, he can take care of himself. So I had to also let that go. And I had to decide that I am more important than anyone else. I mean, that's hard for me to say out loud. And I think a lot of us struggle with that, but it is a fact. Like you are the most important person in your life. That doesn't mean you have to be self-centered, but it does mean that you have to take care of yourself because if you don't put your own oxygen mask on first, then you can't help anyone else. Yeah, I love that. And the airplane analogy is perfect for that. One of the other things, uh, quote that I really like from you that kind of talks about your role and having a bigger impact is influencing people through caring for their pets. Can you talk a little bit about what that means and kind of what you're thinking about now? Yeah. So I always felt like it's so weird because we go into doing veterinary medicine because we care about animals. And that's certainly true. But I found myself caring for so much more than the animal because whatever I was doing for the animal was positively impacting the family or the owners. And when I think about when my dog was really seriously ill in January, I was leaning on the veterinarians that were helping me and my dog. They were there for me just as much as they were for him. So I feel that in many ways, you are healing families, not just pets. And there's also a lot of trust involved. And I think that when you are a caregiver, there are multiple opportunities to teach people 
about humanity, to teach people about compassion and trust and communication, respect, boundaries. There are so many times that I've educated my clients about the way you're behaving was not constructive. You know, I've had to correct people. And then also there are plenty of times that they've taught me. So I think it's a mutually beneficial relationship. And I think that the more we can think about it as a two-way relationship, the better off we will be. And understanding that oftentimes when we have disruptive or destructive relationships with clients, it's usually, I would say nine times out of 10, just misplaced frustration. That person might be going through something individually that has absolutely nothing to do with you. And I have plenty of stories to reinforce that theory. There's an occasional true, am I allowed to cuss? Sure. Sorry. Okay. I like there occasionally is like a true asshole in the bunch, but most of the time, most of the time, it is usually related to fear or just stress, honestly. Yeah. And it's so normal. Anytime you deal with people, there's always going to be terrible folks that you got to deal with and people are going to just drive you crazy and that are always going to be unhappy. So regardless of what you do for them, they're always going to find something to complain about. What's in your mind thinking about like authentic leadership and it's something that you've spoken about and shared. And I'd like to get into some of the different things that you talked about that you've seen and maybe even generationally just from how different age bands deal with the people, deal with each other, I guess, from that standpoint. So you think about whether it's a baby boomer or a Gen X, a millennial, Gen Z, like you have a lot of different age ranges within a practice. And how do you manage and how do you lead those people? Thoughts around that? So this is definitely an area that I'm still learning a lot about and that I hope to invest in myself here in the near future on just management techniques and leadership skills. But I would say what little that I know, I know that millennials really want to feel valued. And I would probably say that's true for Gen Z as well. Like they want to feel like they are a valuable employee. And I mean, everyone does, but I just feel like this particular two generations, they're extremely sensitive. They want to feel like the owner or their boss cares about them as a person, values their personal time, values work-life balance and boundaries. Millennials, they want to feel invested in the work that they're doing. And so I would say this is true for Gen Z as well. It's probably a little more difficult to get Gen Z engaged because they are so technology obsessed. And that's just a product of what they grew up around. Like when I grew up as a millennial, I still remember like dial up and aim and when all that stuff was coming out. But before that, it was like the printer paper with the little holes in it and you'd have to like put it in the little thing. I'd help my granddad with that. My mom would lock us outside and be like, don't come back until the streetlights are on kind of thing. And I just don't see that really happening now with like Gen Z and generations behind them. So I think it has to do with being compassionate and communicative and figuring out what motivates people because you have to, first of all, have all the right people. This is something I learned from Good to Great. Have you read Good to Great? If not, it's a great book. But 
you have to not only have all the right people on the bus, but you have to have the right people in the right seats on the bus. And sometimes that means you have to ask questions and get to know your employees and figure out what makes them tick. What are they passionate about? Ask them what do they want to learn. Where do you see yourself in five years? How do you feel you are valuable to this workplace? How would you like that I invest in your growth? Like some people, instead of giving them a raise, would rather you pay for them to go to continuing education or invest in them to learn a skill set. You don't know until you ask. Gen X is a little different. One of my mentors is she's Gen Xer, and I feel like they're a really, really strong, resilient generation. And I don't think I've ever led anyone older, that much older than me. So I can't really speak to how they like to be led. But I do know that they don't like complainers. (laughs) And they would prefer that people come to them with a problem and a solution or three not just a problem. And that's something that millennials and Gen Zers need to learn is instead of coming to your employer with problems, come to them with a problem and several solutions. And then boomers, they just want to feel like you're working your ass off. They just want to feel like you are coming in and working as hard as you can during the hours you're there and even the hours you're not there. And (laughs) that's because that's how they grew up. So it is very interesting. My ex-boss, he's a boomer. It's challenging. I still don't think he really understands how these kids work these days, but I think he's trying to figure it out. Anything that you've noticed, and I know you've not done relief work for a really long time since you've made the switch, but you've seen a lot of different leadership styles, just being able to go into different practices and clinics. Anything that sticks out that you've been like, ooh, that's interesting, the way that they handled it. And again, not to give anyone's secrets away or let I'm someone sure know that. that they wouldn't mind me sharing. <laughs> yes, I can think of several. So at the emergency clinic I do relief at, what I love about the medical director there is I don't know any other veterinarian who loves to be a veterinarian more than he does. He loves being a vet and he is so passionate and he loves to learn and he's continuously mentoring and teaching. And I love being around him because of that. I feel like I literally just learned something from him the other day. I had never seen a radial nerve trauma before. And I know that means nothing to you, but I've never seen that before. And I honestly didn't recognize it. And I like did this whole workup thinking I was doing a great job and I did do a great job. But I asked his opinion, and he was immediately able to identify it. And I was like, what the heck? So he's such a great teacher. And he has such a go getter attitude, like he's not afraid of being uncomfortable. And I love that. His weakness is that he works really hard. And sometimes I think he forgets that the people that he's leading are going to model his behavior, even if it is unhealthy, because they think that that's what he expects of them. I don't think he expects any of his associates to work 80 hours a week, but some of them are doing that. I think he's an extremely passionate and hardworking person, but I do feel like what he has to learn there is that he has to be really clear about what his expectations are of his employees. And that's true for all leaders. You have to be really clear about what you expect from people and invite conversation about that. Because if you have a misalignment in expectations, then that's when you can create a lot of resentment, actually. Resentment comes from unmet expectations or 
misaligned expectations. My mentor, she's a GP. She teaches me a lot about leadership. And what I love about her is that, again, she models the behavior that she wants to see. So she actually doesn't see appointments anymore. She is fully involved in just leading. So I see her walking around the practice, scraping blood off the wall, doing laundry, helping, advising. She checks in on her doctor. She checks in on her staff. She makes sure that the client experience is a positive one. She has her hands in everything and she is very invested in her practice. And that shows in the way that her staff is. Like I never see her staff standing around ever. And she values their well-being physically, mentally, spiritually. She is continuously looking for ways to improve. She is always asking questions. She asks me all the time, Jackie, what do you think? How do you think we could do better in this area? Or she'll get to a point where she's so frustrated. She's like, I just don't know what else I can do differently. And I love that she has that inquisitive mind. She's got a growth mindset. And growth mindset is, in my opinion, integral to authentic leadership and being vulnerable with your staff and saying, hey, these are my shortcomings or this is what I'm struggling with and asking them to help you because your staff, if they feel like they're invested, they're going to work harder because they feel like they're a part of something. They are a part of the vehicle that helps things move forward. And at the end of the day, I just really think that staff want to know that you care about them. That's really it. That's what it all boils down to is that your staff wants to know that you care about them, that you value their opinion and their work, and that they think that you find them worthy. Yeah. And I think one lesson for anyone that's an owner, they need to remember too, that you talked about in the first situation there, you shouldn't expect anyone else to work for your business that you own as hard as you do. Like that's foolish. If if they don't have equity and they don't have the same skin in the game, like they're not making the same amount. They don't have as much to lose. Like that's ludicrous. I know Gary Vee has talked about that. Like it's foolish for Mm -hmm. any leader to ever think that someone is going to work harder. So like those expectations, like you can still have high expectations and set, this is what we need to do. But if you're not going to do it yourself, like talking about your mentor scraping blood off the wall, like if you're not going to do that kind of stuff and you're not going to set the pace for how things are going to be done, then you can't expect other people to do that as well. So you need to set the tempo, but you also need to say, you know, you're going to bring your energy level at a higher rate or you're going to do more and go beyond that. And people will see that. And again, like you talked about, if you empower them, you say, Hey, I care about you. I want to make sure you're good and that we're working towards this and you let them do what they're good at and why you hired them. I think you'll be surprised. And if you ask for your staff's feedback about something and you really know want to know what they think, please do something with that information. Because if you ask, if you survey your staff and you say, I need to know how you feel about X, Y, Z, and then they tell you truthfully, and then you don't change anything, then they're never going to tell you how they feel ever again. Yeah. I think one of the challenges is when you ask for it, you really want it. And then let's say someone doesn't give it to you or maybe they didn't feel comfortable. And then it's like, well, I can't make any changes or can't make any adjustments. And so I think that's a challenge too, to make sure that people understand that come hell or high water, you're in this together. And they sometimes feedback hurts, but it's going to be helpful long-term. And so if you aren't tough enough to take some harsh criticism sometimes, and if people do give you that, you should be super appreciative. Same way that, you know, if you have clients that are good clients that give you some feedback, you're like, Ooh, that didn't feel great. I didn't get a, add a boy great job, but you got something that maybe didn't feel good. 
you can still correct course and, and do some good stuff with it. Yeah. And that's where growth mindset comes in again, because growth mindset says you messed up or you're not doing the best here, but you can get better. You can improve. So tell me about this superpower that you have. Which one? <laughs> powers, superpowers. Super <laughs> <laughs> no, and I'll clarify. So when we chatted before, you made it like this offhanded joke about having superpowers. And I want to dig into that because I think this could be a good conversation. And if you don't know what I'm referring to, I can prompt you a little bit more. Yeah, I would say communication and authentic connection are probably some of my superpowers. I get told all the time that my self-awareness is really special. And I can get a little personal here. I grew up in a bit of a chaotic family. I'm the oldest of four kids. And my youngest sibling is six years younger. And my father growing up was an alcoholic. And so you can imagine I had a chaotic household. And when my parents divorced, my mom moved all four of us kids. We were all under the age of six at the time. So my youngest brother was like a baby. She moved us two states away from my dad by herself and was working full time. And to this day, I have no idea how she did that, but she did. And as a young child, I was asked to help around the house with the kids And I felt like I took a lot of responsibility and I tried to control as much as I could because everything was chaotic. So I was just going to try to control everything that I could since I couldn't control my life situation. We also moved around a lot. So I never went to a school for more than one year until I was in high school. So I got really good at making fast friends. And that required me to continuously get feedback. If someone didn't want to talk to me anymore, I was like, huh, what did I do to like make them not want to be my friend? So I got really good at communicating because it was like a survival technique. Like how can I connect with someone as quickly as possible so I'm not alone? I think that's where that came from. And I've always had a very inquisitive nature. So trying again, I think it comes back to control because I didn't understand my environment, I tried to understand by continuously asking questions. Even in vet school, I was like always one of the first people to raise my hand. And I always had good questions. I wasn't like that annoying person who asked a stupid question, even though there wasn't technically there are no stupid questions. But I always felt like I had good, well thought out questions. So I think my stability relied on quick connection and effective communication. And that's my best guess as to where those came from. And it just continued. I realized that people love to talk about themselves. And that's a great communication tip is if you are uncomfortable, just ask someone questions, ask them to talk about themselves, and then the conversation becomes very easy. So everyone loves to talk about themselves. So yeah, I hope that answers it. That's beautiful. And thank you for, again, sharing and opening up about something. I had no idea that was kind of behind that. But I do think in a world like you talked about a little bit with Gen Z, that's so technology driven, being able to communicate person to person and be able to make those quick connections is going to be more rare in the future, just because that's a lost skill set and something that having to take more responsibility 
growing up is very different than a lot of kids, how they're raised now. We're talking about kids like we're so old, which we're not. But, I know. But I, know. I mean, I'm going to be a crotchety old man, it sounds like, if this is any uh, glimpse into the future. But I do think you being forced to grow up quicker and you probably sacrifice some things is like what a normal, again, air quotes, as far as childhood looks like. But that forced you to realize that you needed to mature and learn some of these things to make you probably more mature for your age, you know, all the way through. So, yeah, that's really, really interesting to hear that and have you share that. And I'm sure we could ask your classmates if your questions were, were not good, but I'm sure they're, I'm sure <laughs> they're great. Could. I'm sure they're, I'm sure they're great. Could. I'm sure they're great. I mean, yeah, I, I just feel like there is value in the fact that like you should as a human being pre and post COVID, hopefully one day soon, you should be able to go to a bar by yourself and have a conversation with a stranger. And I think that's a great challenge. If people struggle with communication, that's a great way to challenge yourself into growing is by going to a restaurant or a bar by yourself. And it could be a restaurant bar and just sit at the bar and do not pull your phone out. And I, when I travel, if I travel alone, I make a habit actually of going to dinner by myself and I treat myself to like a fancy schmancy dinner. And then I bring a book and I read my book and I do not pull my phone out. So tell me a little bit about, and I think I messed this up in the intro, so I'm going to apologize, but resilience <laughs> rising. I think yes. I said resilient. Yes. I caught myself now that I goofed that up. Tell me a little bit around A, the name, the goals with it, maybe something I haven't asked about it, free to kind of go any direction that you want to go with it. So resilience, I think, is a character trait that I possess and that can be teachable. You can learn resilience. And I think it's incredibly important to have that character trait or that skill as an adult, actually, for anyone. It doesn't have to be a veterinarian or a veterinary professional. But I think in particular for helping professions, resilience is crucial. You have to be able to navigate difficult situations and obstacles. And you can fall down, but resilience is the ability to get back up and how quickly you get back up. So that was where the namesake came from. Now the rising, it's a little interesting. So I identify with a lotus flower. So the lotus flower grows from muddy water. So it's literally this beautiful blooming flower that grows out of like shitty water. And to me, it symbolizes growth during difficult times or growth during unlikely times. And when I was fiddling, I remember I was volunteering one day with my fiance at this like kids camp or something and we were doodling and I just happened to Google like lotus flower and I imagined an orange sun behind it and I was thinking the rising sun. So you're rising, the lotus flower rises out of mud, just like the sun rises out of darkness and that's where rising came from. So resilience rising. And I actually drew my logo for the first time at that kids camp in crayon. I still have it. And, you know, to this day, when I search that same image, I cannot find it. <laughs> Isn't that weird? Yeah. So I had it digitized. A uh, graphic designer, she helped me digitize it. And that's where my logo came from. And I don't actually have my logo on my Instagram page, which I really should. But on all of my promo materials and my business card and like my PowerPoint presentations and stuff for talks, I have the logo there. But I love my logo. It's so pretty. I wish I had it with me to show you. It's all right. I'll ping you if I don't see it on Instagram before too long. I'll be like, hey, you say you were going to put this on there. Like, let's 
So yeah. And I just thought R and R, it kind of abbreviates rest and what is it? What's R and R stand for? Rest and relaxation or something like that. Rest and relaxation. Or rest and recharge or something. Yeah, like yeah. So I thought resilience rising sounded really flowy and then the R and R's, you know, it could be multiple meanings. So that's where it came from. Yeah. I love it. So paint me a picture, fast forward five to 10 years. What do you want to be doing? I used to ask like what success looks like and I did it for a year and I was like, ah, I want to do something different, but maybe I'm going to pose that back to you again. Like for you to have an impact in the way that you feel like you can. And I believe that even in our limited interactions, like this is fun to hear, like you speak on things the way that you do. What does it look like? Okay, I'm going to try not to cry because I always get emotional about just the vision I have for this profession. I have a very clear vision, not necessarily about what I'm doing, but what I want to see in in vet med. And I want to see veterinarians that are excited to go to work who feel, and veterinary professionals support, this is support staff included, vet techs, vet nurses, professionals who feel supported by their employers, who feel that they are well-educated in the resources that they have to get help when they need it. I see veterinarians having complete confidence in their ability to communicate effectively with their clients, knowing exactly what to do when they are facing tough situations, whether it's losing a patient under anesthesia and knowing how to handle that both with themselves and with the client. You know, if there's a really nasty client who is berating you online, having the skills, the soft skills to know that your identity is not dictated by a client review and feeling confident in that. I see a profession whose leadership reflects the values of the constituents. So I'm talking about the AVMA, the state VMAs, that they really stand up for and deliver the resources that veterinarians and veterinary professionals need to perform. And I also envision veterinary schools making it a core requirement for things like communication, conflict resolution, coping mechanisms, understanding how to develop work-life balance, what that means. Does it exist? Yes, it does. Resilient skills. This is such a beautiful job. This is an amazing career. And I think that there has been a huge disservice in how we are equipped to perform this job. We are given an excellent medical education, but we are not equipped with the skill sets that we need to perform well and to have a healthy life. And that is not only a disservice to ourselves, but it's a disservice to our clients. I mean, we have a huge shortage of veterinarians right now. And I can't say that it's only because of the rapid growth of pet ownership in the United States. It's also because we have more people leaving the profession than we do joining. And there's reasons for that. So I just see people when kids ask, hey, you're a vet. I want to be a vet too. I want every veterinarian to be able to say, yes, you should totally be a vet. This is an amazing job. You're going to love your career instead of some of the conversations that are happening. Like, "Mm, no, you don't get paid anything. You're going to have a super stressful life and you're going to have loads of debt. It's not worth it. Like that sucks. 
you know? So everything that we have right now, I want to see the strengths stronger and the weaknesses weaker, like gone. I want those to also become strengths. And I think that we can create that. I know that we can. And it's less about what I see as what I'm doing. It's more about how can I make that vision happen? What can I do to shorten the gap between where we are right now and where I think that we should be? And that's where my work lies. How can people help you in that work? Is there anything that people can be doing? Yes. First of all, invest in yourself. Invest in your own personal development, whether that means reading more books, which I'm more than happy to give lots and lots of advice on. And I plan to develop products and offerings to help guide people to those things. But number one, invest in yourself. So reading more, learning more, investing in a life coach, invest in a therapist, invest in self-development weekends. I don't care if you go to Tony Robbins or Rachel Hollis, it doesn't matter. Just do something for yourself that has everything to do with your personal development and your own growth and less to do with your medical knowledge. We have all these incredible conferences that offer management tracks, leadership tracks. There's multiple wellness lectures that are offered. And I would love to see people, instead of filling your entire curriculum for that conference with medical do one or two wellness lectures or leadership lectures or personal development lectures. So that's definitely number one, because I believe that the change you want to see in the world begins with yourself. You can't change the world all at one time, but you can change yourself. And together, as we change and we grow and we become better versions of ourselves as a collective, we all make the world better. That's probably the most immediate action you can take. Second thing to help bring us closer to that vision is to talk more about these issues and express to your governing bodies, your local VMA, the AVMA, hey, I want to see more programming about this. Hey, I'm struggling with these things. What can you do to serve me as your constituent? I'm investing in your medical association. What are you doing to invest in me? That's a great way. And then third, I would love it if you would join me I'm pretty much exclusively on Instagram right now. Full disclosure, I get super overwhelmed with like Facebook, TikTok, Clubhouse. Like I can't keep up with everything. So Instagram, I will reliably be present there. And I have lots of fun stuff planned. Series of interviews, tutorials, book club. I just did like a journal stack post where I shared with you which journals I use. So go there. There's going to be tons of free content on my Instagram page and ways to engage with me. And I can help guide you on that self-development journey. But to be honest, Isaiah, I think the biggest way that I've changed my relationship with this profession is by investing in myself first. I think that's really what it boils down to. That's fantastic. Thank you again for that. I'm telling you, like you could have such a kick-ass podcast that I would be worried that no one's going to listen to me anymore when you know, <laughs> decide that you want to you want to launch your doing a YouTube channel. I think I might do a YouTube channel. So you can do a lot of things and you will do a lot of things. That's exciting. As we wrap up and I gave you a heads up on this. Sometimes if people don't listen to podcasts, I don't give them a heads up. It's always interesting to see where they go, but I'm interested to see what you came up with. But do you have a question for me that you want to know more about or want to ping me with? Yes. I would love to know your five or 10 year vision for what you want to see in the world. It's a good question. I feel like 
for me, five to 10 years, if I would go back five years, what my goal and vision was, I used to do, and I need to go back to doing this. And this is me just admitting that I used to do a good job at it, but I used to meet with my younger brother. We'd grab like a beer or something and talk about like what our goals and missions and visions and stuff were. We've not done that probably in the last two years, but we need to get back to doing that because he's not that far away that we should do that. But it changes a lot. Like I look back early on, what did I want to accomplish in five to 10 years? And it was like, oh, have a family, get married, all that stuff. And I've done some of those things, start my own business. Like I've done some of those things, which is great. But there's other things on there that's like, oh, that's totally different than what I would have thought I was going to do. Or maybe I've done things quicker than what I initially did, which makes sense because I'm sometimes impatient and or similar to like if I'm working for someone else and I just don't buy into what they're doing, similar to that like millennial mindset. If there's a better way to do it, I'll just go and even if it's going to be hard for a while, I'll go, you know, you know, blaze my own trail from that standpoint. Yeah. The way that I look at it, I think from a business perspective, I have myself and my partner. What I would love to be is the first call that any veterinarian wants to make if they have questions about personal finance or practice finance and like, hey, I have money questions. I want to be that firm. And so there's some cool things that I'll share here. Like there are going to be more people that are joining the team that are focused on veterinary medicine. And I'm excited about that. It's hard to find people that have a passion for this space because Again, the things that you highlighted when I initially set out to kind of work in this space, it was they have a lot of debt. They don't make any money. They'll never want to talk to you about money. Good luck. Go work with someone that has money, right? Like what's wrong with human health doctors? I'm like, oh, there's nothing wrong with anybody, but this is just kind of a space that I think needs what I can do. And it'd be great to be able to carve that out and say, hey, this is who I am. This is who I serve. And it's been great. Like I wouldn't change that. So it's from a business perspective, like I've gone all in on saying that I want to be the person in veterinary medicine. I want to also support others around me that are trying to do the same thing. So the Veterinary Financial Advisor Network, just today I was talking to the two other guys in that network and I've had a couple of other advisors reach out to me, which is good. I would love to be able to add more diverse options from that standpoint. I think a female DVM that wanted to get in the space would absolutely crush it. And I think there's a lot of demand for that. Trust me, I've actively trying to recruit people or ask them if they would want to come into the space and do that. But I think if that's an interest for someone out there, they should absolutely look into it. I'm happy to chat with someone, whether that's, you know, hey, let's work together or I'll happily support them doing their own thing. But I think that there needs to be options for people to ask questions. And like, there's just a handful of people that are insurance salespeople that suck. Like candidly, I'm not going to name names, but they stink in the space. They're super salesy. Life policies or whatever. Yeah. And and I've had so many conversations with your peers. They're like, oh yeah, well in school or right out of school. And I just felt like I had to do this because they told me this was good or whatever. And again, I think for the most part, like most veterinarians are like, yeah, sure. They seem like a nice person, but maybe this isn't the right decision for me or I have all these other questions, but they're not really answering it. So I'd like to like eliminate that stuff and just get education to where they don't have those mistakes or say, hey, I paid into this thing for so many years and it's going to be a loss. So I guess in like specifically in business, like that's what I want to build towards is what I'm working on. I think our business, we're going to work with other folks as well. Like again, I started my own business that was focused specifically on veterinary medicine and dentistry. And then when I merged, like we have other clients outside of that, but within the kind of Vincere umbrella, like what I am still focused on is that. And I want to continue to have the best offering with the most knowledge that we can provide. And if personality fits and other things work, let's be that from a family perspective. Hopefully we'll have another kiddo in the next five years find a long-term home, settle down, do that kind of stuff. Like I'm a pretty simple person from that standpoint. I don't have a lot of things that I want to do. I like the idea that you talked about being like radical or authentic. Same way for me. Like I want to just be able to say, hey, this is exactly who I am. This is what I think about. And if you like it, that's great. You attract people that want that. And it also is great to repel people that don't want that. And that's totally fine. 
And that's part of the mission with the podcast too, is people know exactly where I stand on a lot of stuff and that's good. Your people will find you. Your people will find you. And I love that about the Veterinary Financial Network because I remember when I first stumbled upon you, it was long before you invited me onto the podcast, but I remember like exploring y'all's website and being like, wow, this makes me feel so catered to. Like, I feel like I am your ideal client because I'm a veterinarian and you have an understanding of what my debt load is like, what my income is like. You understand the complexities and you understand what is unique to our profession. And to be honest with you, Garrett, my fiance, is very well versed in finance and he is an entrepreneur and he's got investments in all different sectors. And I don't know what the hell he's talking about 95% of the time. And it's embarrassing. It's uncomfortable. I can't speak for the men, but as a woman, it is extremely uncomfortable for me to feel like I'm always asking a dumb question. And he'll say, I can't believe you didn't know that. He's not judging me, but I think it literally comes from dumbfoundedness, like how ill-equipped we are (laughs) as professionals. Like we don't know anything about money. And so I like one that you have a very specific ideal client that's very niche. And if I could give any advice to entrepreneurs or veterinary people who are becoming entrepreneurs, it's niche down as much as you can because your clients want to feel like they are special and like you know exactly what their problems are. And then second, I love that I feel like I could talk to you and not feel like I'm asking you dumb questions because you understand that I'm not equipped. And that's why I'm coming to you. And I love that. Yeah. So I'm glad that that's what you want to be because yeah, I, I mean, you see you as that already. Yeah. And what I would love, and if people want to put pressure on it, I would love to, you talked about like breakout sessions at big conferences and things. You don't know how long I've been trying to get on a speaking circuit to talk about anything. Like I just like talk about all kinds of stuff. And it's amazing how difficult it is in this space to break into be a speaker at bigger events. So if anyone wants to push on anybody, like candidly, I would love to be able to talk more about stuff, but also your statement about like women in finance, like my wife is a good example. Like she didn't have anything really set up when we first started dating. I was like, Oh, you should do this and this and this. And now that we're married, I do a lot of that stuff. Now she does like the kind of the personal, like what we spend per month, but bigger picture stuff, she leans on me for that. And between dentistry and vet med, I have more female clients than I have male clients just because both professions are much more female driven. And so to me, that's basically who my client is at this moment anyways. <laughs> and I'm used to that, but it is amazing because I appreciate the questions and I don't think anyone should feel ashamed that they don't know. And it's okay if you have the passion and want to go do things, you are so well equipped to learn it if you want to. It's all a matter of, are you interested mm-hmm. in it? And there's nothing wrong. Like if you have a passion for it, it's like, oh, I'm just curious and this isn't feel like work then go do that. And it can be anything within the profession. Like even if you're a business owner, you're like, oh, I have a huge passion about this, but I don't like this. Outsource it. Like what's your time worth? And then what do you want to spend your time doing? And so that's the way that I try to frame it too. Is like, yes, I do get paid for what I do. hundred percent. I think you need to be clear and transparent about all that stuff. And then from there, it's just like judging, is there value here? And am I getting something from this? And then if the answer is yes, great, then move ahead. If not, and you're unsure, I always tell people, if it's not a hell yes, then it's probably not the right time. Like you need to be invested in this because I want to be able to help, but I also don't want someone to be like, oh, I regret this decision three or four or five months in. I want to be clear. Like, it's not like there's any sort of like, oh, you have to work with us for X many years or something, but 
I think people need to be ready. And so for me, it's always like, are you sure? Like, let's do this, but you can't want it more than someone else does. And to kind of touch on your comment about getting invited into a larger conference, I haven't attempted it yet, but from all the the memoirs and like personal development books I've read, you just have to be persistent. Like, yeah, I'll just keep knocking on the door. Bludgeon people over the head with your idea. Like, let me in. <laughs> yeah. I think some of the things that are in the works and having maybe a DVM after a, a name and wanting to talk on this topic will help. So it might not be my voice, but maybe it can be someone that, that still is interested in that space because I do think a lot of the stress, like, Finances are a huge cause of stress and it's a huge cause of divorce and all these other things. And if you can eliminate one of those areas. I think that can help. You have enough stress with work and family and all that other stuff. You don't need to add another one. So for me, that's kind of the way that I look at it is if you can get time back and you can lower stress, that's kind of what this should be. So whether it's learning and sitting through this stuff. So I hope the conferences will have more people talking about finance stuff. It doesn't need to be Isaiah, but I think there needs to be more topics around it. So if anyone's listening at big conferences, yes, I'll come talk. But anyways, we've gone longer than normal, but this is great. And I appreciate the time. So as a handoff, so you talked about Instagram, so I will put your handle in the show notes, but can you kind of share where you're at, all that good stuff, where to find you, how to connect? Yeah. So definitely Instagram. I check my DMs every single day. I'm posting on stories reliably almost every single day. I do tend to give myself a break a little bit on the weekends just to allow myself some space to breathe. And now that I'm treating Instagram more as like a business work avenue, it's kind of allowed me to separate it. So now I don't feel like I have to post every little thing that I'm doing in my personal life, but I am reliably on there. I also am trying to post in my feed more regularly so you can gauge there. But yeah, you can definitely slide into my DMs as they say. And then I'm still building out my website. I don't have a whole lot on there yet, but I probably will have links to my YouTube channel and my blog one day that doesn't exist yet. But that's www.resiliencerisingvet.com. And then my Instagram handle is resiliencerisingvet. And then email, I don't have like a business email yet. I do have like a work email. You could do hornerdvm at gmail.com. But I'm actually much better at checking my Instagram messages than I am at my email. So I would love to connect with people there. Absolutely. And I think one of the first blog posts that you could do might be some of the different books or things that you just talked about as far as resources. Ooh. So you could link to or a book review. That. So I'll definitely share it if you get it done with folks. And it can be well after this podcast is out. But Dr. Horner, thank you for the time. This was awesome. Fantastic. And I look forward to staying connected, but also being able to watch some of the stuff that you're working on from here on out. So thank you. Likewise. Thank you, Isaiah. Thanks for listening to today's show. The comments made on today's show should not be taken as investment, tax, or legal advice. All comments are for educational purposes only. You should consult your team before implementing anything. Isaiah Douglas is a partner of Vincere Wealth Management. Isaiah is registered in the state of Indiana, California, Texas. The biggest compliment you can give to this podcast is to share it with a friend. Reviews help the show get found, and Apple Podcasts is the platform that predominantly is how people listen to the show. If you have three to five minutes, you like the show, please head over to Apple Podcasts, give us an honest rating and review that'll help more people find the show. For all of today's links and information, head over to the veterinarian success podcast.com. There you can subscribe via your favorite podcast platform. 
platform so you won't miss another episode. Finally, if you'd like more information, insights, and have the ability for your voice to be heard and interact with show guests, join the private Facebook group. You can go to the Veterinary Success Podcast on Facebook or head over to the veterinarysuccesspodcast.com. Scroll all the way to the bottom where it says about your host and then click on the Facebook icon. That'll bring you into the Facebook group. I'll approve you. You'll be in. And then I'd love to hear your questions, feedback, and anything that you'd like to see added to the show. So with all that, thank you so much for listening. I'll be talking again to you soon.